it's Loom Group's Andrea Lay, Backview's Melissa Burdick, the wizard of Woodland Hills Shree, and I'm PVSB from Flywheel, a division of Omnicom, and I'm coming to you today from the Catskills. Be playing Heckinger's Tuesdays and Thursdays. Before we get to the CPG Guys episode you've downloaded, it's the week of May 6th, and it's time for the Fresh Four, for curated news stories from the past week. We find them dependably intriguing. We hope you do too. We're brought to you through our partnership with Retail Wit, your one-stop shop for retail industry intelligence news, retailwit.com. It's retail right now. Over to you, Shree. In case you're wondering what this background is, I'm at, I'm at my father-in-law's house all the way in Chennai, India for the next couple of weeks. So what's the message of the week? Kroger Precision Marketing strikes a partnership with none other than Yahoo DSP. So Yahoo DSP advertisers now have access to KPM's audiences for both reach and measurement. Partnership marks KPM's second DSP partnership since last fall and ushers in a new focus on commerce media for Yahoo advertising in particular. Collaborations like this one will define the next phase of growth in retail media as retailers recognize the limitations of monetization on their own digital properties and seek incremental growth by expanding offsite. This is said by Sara Marzano, principal analyst at eMarketer. For advertisers, the delayed but still impending deprecation of third-party cookies, which is now on its way, continues to underpin every decision regarding digital advertising dollars. So solutions that safeguard their investments against that hold increasing appeal. Over to you, Andrea. Hello, Fresh 4 listeners. Walmart adds a new grocery line to its private brand's portfolio. Walmart has announced a new private label grocery brand called Better Goods. The line includes 300 items spanning categories such as frozen, dairy, snacks, beverages, pasta, soups, coffee, and chocolate. With most items priced under $5, Better Goods focuses on three key components, culinary experiences, plant-based, and made without. The retailer said Better Goods marks not only its largest private food brand launch in two decades, but also its fastest grocery brand brought to market. Over to you, Melissa. Thanks, Andrea. Uh, so, Savemark companies roll out in-store retail media networks. It's not enough that we have online. Now we're moving to in-store retail media networks. The Savemark companies plans to roll out in-store connect, an in-store retail media network powered by Quad Graphics Inc. To start, 16 of the grocery company stores will have digital screens, kiosks, end caps, shelf screens, and vertical banners throughout, allowing CPG partners to showcase promotions, product information, and recommendations to shoppers. The program will eventually roll out to all the Savemark companies, approximately 200 stores. This is Savemark's latest retail media effort, coming almost a year after a launch of its own retail media network. Over to you, Peter. Thanks, Melissa. Rite Aid expands Uber Eats' partnership for alcohol delivery in eight states. Nearly 1,000 Rite Aid stores will now offer alcohol delivery via retailers' expanded partnership with Uber Eats. Customers of legal drinking aid can get delivery from select stores in California, Idaho, Michigan, New York, Ohio, Oregon, Virginia, and Washington. Quote, our collaboration and trusted partnership with Uber Eats underscores our commitment to meet the evolving needs of our customers and providing a seamless digital shopping experience complements their busy lives, unquote, said Jeannie Walden, Senior Vice President and Chief Marketing Officer at Rite Aid, the U.S.'s third largest pharmacy retailer. That's it for the Fresh Four. Now on to the CPG Guys episode that you've downloaded. Welcome to another episode of the CPG Guys podcast. Our hosts, Sri Raj Gopalan, 
Peter V.S. Bond, and Brian Gildenberg. Explore how brands and retailers engage consumers in an increasingly digitally driven world. And now, here are the CPG guys. Hello and welcome to the CPG Guys podcast. I'm PPSB. When I'm not co-hosting this podcast, along with my partner, Shree and Brian, I uh, help enterprise brands improve their SEO and SEM, that's digital shelf talk, uh, for growing their e-commerce business. Uh, unfortunately, my co-host, Shree, who's usually my ride-or-die sidekick, is experiencing a bit of a power outage in La La Land. So uh, he's not going to be joining me and I am... Uh, hosting this episode alone, but please do uh, explore the professional entertainment careers of his two daughters, his elder daughter, Rhea Raj. Her music can be found at RhiaRaj.com. And of course, his younger daughter, Lara, was just selected as one of the founding members of the girls band Cat's Eye, whose new album debuts in June. Uh, and more about that a little bit later. Uh, before we get to our guests, we want to ask you to help spread the word about this community we've created in the CPG Guys, beyond obviously sharing our podcast with your friends. You should certainly be doing that. If uh, you're using Apple or Spotify as your preferred listening platform, please leave us a rating as it helps feed the algorithm that makes us more findable by CPG retail people like you looking for education and entertainment in our industry. And that's what we're trying to do, right? Um, the nicest things people say about us, other than, wow, you guys are a lot taller than you thought you were um, when they meet us in person, is that we help educate them about this industry and, and also provide them with some interesting entertainment at the same time. If we do that, then we're then the height thing is irrelevant. But um, we're also very happy that the CPG guys is part of what we consider to be a pretty impressive collection of highly rated podcasts, including CPG guys fast forward hosted by our very own Brian Gildenberg, CPG scoop with recent Jennifer, and of course the FMCG guys across the pond in Europe with Daniel, Efrain, and Christine. And finally, we are incredibly proud of our allyship with next up formerly known as network of executive women, whose mission it is to advance the cause of women in business and to promote gender equality in the workplace. Next up has a terrific educational and networking resource uh, available to its members. And of course, Shree serves as a director of next up links to our podcast, our sister cast, a landing page on next up. And of course, uh, links to Rhea and Lara's social media profiles. They can all be fine. The digital liner notes of this episode. Don't have to write anything down. Hyperlinks are there. Just toggle over to the liner notes and boom, there they are. Uh, so let's get uh, to our guest today. In 2015, she and her partner, Noah Swanson, founded La Pavia Beverage, maker of top note tonics, manufacturers of mid-calorie soft drinks, in mixers, her beverage credentials, however, are extensive, having worked at Chicago's Goose Island Beer Company, been there many times during my during my time living in Chicago, and of course, uh, Miller Coors and the Brewers Association, which is a trade association for, for beer brewers. Uh, please join me in welcoming to the podcast, Mary Pelletieri. Mary, how are you? Hi, good. How are you, Peter? I am dandy. It's uh, welcome to 2024. 20, uh, We're kicking the year off and it's great to have you on the podcast. We we like to start the year off with, uh, you know, uh, small, growing, emerging companies uh, as we think of uh, the year we're in renewal and it's a great time to talk about birth and growth. And so uh, while you've been around for eight years, uh, you know, compared to some of the other big players in the marketplace that have been around for a hundred years, you're relatively young. So we'll 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 go with that nascent kind of emerging uh, picture. But um, 
it, it's great to have you uh, have you on the podcast. Uh, I, we want to hear about the work you're doing in helping grow this brand. Before we get to the questions I've prepared, would you please provide us with an overview of what is Top Note uh, and what's the origin story behind it? Sure. Yeah, Top Note is uh, the most awarded American craft mixer. We happen to also be the youngest. Um, and I like to say we're the most shareable. Um, ah. We are a small brand still growing. We're in the mixer space, so the premium mixers, which is a um, growing part of the grocery set that has a lot more attention over in Europe, um, kind of due to how they drink and how their bars operate. But that being said, um, I'm in Wisconsin, the land of the cocktail. Yes. <laughs> um, and, you know, certainly Americans do our own fair share of drinking. And Top Note took a lens of this category from my brewing background. I wanted to create American craft mixers because I was in the beer business and I I saw this wonderful world of history and mod, mod, modern takes of old styles kind of come to fruition in the craft beer business. And I thought it was time someone kind of did the same in, in soft drinks. And so we took that lens to it. Um, we have a very much a craft inventive kind of mind. Um, and, um, you know, we're part of a growing premium set. So that's a bit about what we are, what we stand for and why. <laughs> Thank you for that. And, uh, when you mentioned old styles, it immediately brought to mind not to be confused with the beer brand of old style, which is also a Milwaukee, uh, favorite, but in any event. Uh, thank you for for sharing that with us. We're going to include in the in the digital liner notes of this episode links to your LinkedIn profile, Top Notes LinkedIn page, and your company website, so that oftentimes, like ninety plus percent of the people who listen to this episode will do so on their mobile device, and it's very easy for them to just toggle over, click a hyperlink, and they can multitask. That's why we love the podcast format. You can passively listen as you're doing other things, and why not do a little research and learn more about the Top Note brand while they're doing that? So that's that's really great. So Mary, let's let's get to the question. I would love to hear what inspired you and your co-founder to to start the brand. And what do you see as being kind of your mission in in this space of uh, of of cocktails and making this a very shareable kind of experience? Yeah, um, we we started the brand kind of out of um, both of us were home brewers for a long time, and just um, I was I was working for Miller Coors. I had done several years at Goose Island Beer um, as the quality director there. Miller Coors, I was kind of um, between operations and marketing and, and dealing with commercialization of, of ideas. And I thought, it, I thought, you know, I, I have this entrepreneurial spirit. I just started brewing herbal kind of tinctures that paired well with beer, but also were very nice on their own as, um, kind of a sparkling beverage and realized what we were doing was nothing new because nothing, it's all, it's all kind of recycled new ideas, right, um, from some time ago and saw that there was a category emerging with tonic water, premium tonic waters coming um, kind of from bars and restaurants that wanted to make their own, primarily because the category had been commoditized, uh, somewhat simplified to the point where 
similar to where, you know, beer was back in the eighties, wasn't a lot of selection. And I thought it's a great category to be in. When I was pregnant, that's what I actually drank. Um, tonic water and a little splash of orange juice. So this non-alcoholic world and making things taste better, not only better, but with really, you know, craft ingredients and a lens of today as well. So going back, but also looking forward was, was why we got into it. I started making these tinctures, tonics, syrups, and we we were fairly successful at farmers markets. So, and that's here in Wisconsin, which isn't the easiest place in the world to launch a more innovative product. Um, it's just there isn't a huge um, world of entrepreneurship here in food and beverage, as there might you know, find in Boulder, Denver, and, and the East Coast and West Coast. It's it's kind of um, we're a bit uh, we're a bit of a, a landscape for larger brands. So we still took to the feedback that we got from consumers and many of them said, why don't you make this, you know, ready to serve? And they liked our ginger beer. So we got into the ginger beer and soft drink market alongside our tonics and have pretty much gone ever since. That was a, that was in 2017 when we first launched our sparkling products and um, since have um, re launched in more products into the soft drink set with our mid calorie soft drinks. So we're just continuing to grow. You know, it's really interesting. There's there's so much going on in this space. Obviously, I see the emergence, particularly during the pandemic, growth around these these home cocktail making machines. So there's a lot of emphasis there. I think spirits, um, the spirit category has overtaken uh, the beer category again as the as the the top adult beverage category. And what I also find interesting is particularly around when, when you think about what your product plays well to, which are highballs. Um, I was once told that um, a, uh, a, a good, uh, a good alcohol or spirit cannot compensate for a bad mixer because of the ratios, right? Three to one ratio, but a, but a great mixer can compensate for a bad, or a, a lower quality alcohol. So having the right mixer seems to be the place you want to you want to hang your hat to drive some business. So I'd love to hear what what sets Top Note apart from others in the market, and particularly as I think about your two product lines. You've got you've got tonics and mixers, which again kind of play to that highball um, primarily, but obviously you can drink a non-alcoholic, but then you've got these mid-calorie so, so, uh, soft drinks. So I'd love to hear what you think sets you apart from some other players in the marketplace you compete against. So when we say we're shareable, um, we truly mean that because our bottles are a little larger and when um, and they're really meant to pour two perfect pours. Ah. Um, and when you think about American consumers and how they drink, they're usually drinking with someone else. Um, they drink, you know, in a very, um, it's an occasion that's usually, um, very social. So we thought that was appropriate, but it's also appropriate for how our bars and restaurants handle, um, products like this. Um, our, our bottles are resealable, unlike the competitors from Europe. So we, we take a, a shareable stance. Um, the, uh, so that's, that's one of our bigger points of difference. We all use great Great, you know, we like to say we have the most um, versatility, but a lot of mixers today are versatile. Um, what's really unique um, is coming out of uh, 
of COVID, I learned a little bit about when people traveled to Europe. They said, you know, I've I've never really thought about a tonic water being you know, served in a bottle in a restaurant because that's, um, but that's what they do in Europe. So they take a bottle and they serve the gin or vodka or something separately because they can't actually blend it. They can't make a cocktail <laughs> in the pub. So it's a very unique, you know. We, 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 we've got our three-tier system over here that is confusing to most of the rest of the world. So everyone's got their issues, right? Yeah, but. But not being able to make a cocktail, I mean, that's just shocking. So it makes sense when you look at the sets um, today from what's come into this category from Europe and why. Um, we take a very American look on it. We have extremely um, versatile products. We've got three types of tonics that are very different from one another. Um, they don't taste at all the same. Um, and that was done kind of because that's what we liked, but it was done also because the versatility for what the American cocktail maker and or mocktail maker is doing is it's, it's what they desire. So um, the combination of more shareable bottle size, a, um, a more versatile product line that is designed not only for cocktailing here in the U.S., but also making non-alcoholic drinks um, kind of has a stand-up heart. And we like to say we're bartender's choice. We are the most awarded craft um, American craft mixer. We we double golded um, several times in our um, category of tonic water. So that's kind of exciting. Um, and, you know, we're kind of just the small brand that gets out there by organic word of mouth. So we appreciate being on podcasts like this because it really does help us. Sure, sure. I've got to imagine that October nineteenth is a big day for you, given that given that it's uh, it's International Gin and Tonic Day. So International Gin and Tonic Day. That's right. Yeah, it's you can mark it on the calendar. And there's one. There's a there's a day in April as well. They um they they celebrate for National Gin and Tonic Day. So <laughs> okay, so we have to have a national and an international. So there we <laughs> that's go. That's right. We get it. <laughs> Brilliant marketing plan. Brilliant marketing plan. I love the fact you mentioned mocktails because I stopped drinking two years ago. Uh, and I am so pleased that so many uh, fine uh, dining establishments now have dedicated mocktail sections on their bar menu. And uh, it and and I have to imagine um, from your perspective, that's really in that that particular um, uh, genre your brand is going to speak very well and deliver a satisfying experience to the consumers who aren't using uh, the alcohol as the primary purpose for, for drinking the, uh, the beverage. Yeah, absolutely. We just wrote a blog on how to keep um, your non-alcoholic cocktails um, lower in calorie too, because that's sometimes where bartenders might go if they don't have alcohol. They might actually just put a simple sugar of yeah. some sort with some extra flavoring in there. Um, our, our mixers happen to be 30% less sugar than your standard um, larger brands. So that helps the bartender also play along with um, um, slightly more sweet ingredients if they want. But we think that, you know, all in, it's really up to your taste. You can always add sugar. You can't take it away. So um, we like to keep our products right around that 30% or less than the standard, and it allows, um, it allows folks to play, but also just drink them as is. So if you are not drinking, um, you can always drink a decent 
tonic water and actually enjoy it in, in place of a cocktail. So we play well in that space. Brilliant. So obviously, as you've built out your business, you mentioned that you, you started off through word of mouth, but as you start to get into traditional retail, you're going to face challenges in growing your business. Would love to hear what some of the big challenges were around, was it distribution, thinking about what your, you know, how you connect with consumers? Is it at events? Is it online? What is it? Um, what were some of the big challenges you really had to start ta tackling as you thought about scaling this? Yeah, well, we're still tackling them because we're still scaling. Um, I would say, you know, most of our distribution right now is through alcohol beverage distributors. So we are building our brand still. And it's, it is that word of mouth between bartenders, servers, you know, on premise where, where brands are traditionally built. Um, when you, when you earn your credibility that way, you have a little easier time having the pull right away from, from retail. Where we do best in retail is where we both have restaurants and bars as well as retailers servicing um, our consumers. Very good. And, and from there, um, you know, always the, the demos, liquid to lips is super, super important for our brand just to compare, to re remind folks of the story, remind folks how they're drinking, um, why a resealable bottle really helps them save money versus waste the money. Um, and, you know, it's, it's just, it's a matter of education. We do use social media quite a bit. We like to blog at least a few times a month. Um, and it's, it's a, it's a matter of that digital asset, um, matching to the consumer, uh, where they're buying. So we're doing more now with QR codes, um, on our point of sale, for example. Um, oh, you're speaking my language, Mary. Nothing beats a good QR code on a package to get. It doesn't. It, you know, people, people walk, I, I read some stats some time ago that like 85% of millennials are going to walk into the store with their head on their phone, in their phones. <laughs> I keep speaking when I, I keep a QR code on my phone cover. <laughs> when anyone, anyone asks me about the CPG guys podcast, I just go here, scan it. That's awesome. So it works, it works extremely well. And to get consumer feedback, which is like pure gold when you're, when you're launching and building a brand, uh, it's a great mechanism to get that feedback that, cause it's fun. It's funny when you start sharing that with other consumers and they discover your brand and they read what people say about it. It's amazing how what's what a thousand people who've, you've never met, uh, will mean in terms of the validity of a brand uh, compared to what a retailer or the brand itself might say about its own product, right? It, they, they trust people who've tried it. And so that social proof is critically important. So getting that connection and owning the one-to-one -one relationship with your fans, I've got to imagine that a lot of the, dis the discovery of your brand, you may mention the fact that you work through alcohol distributors, discovery to a great extent has got to be coming through on-premise activity. Is that correct? Well, yeah, you know, COVID hurt that, shut that down quite a bit for us. But um, yes, for sure. Um, that's where a lot of that discovery happens. That, But it's not just a discovery of a brand. It's also, um, you're if you're blessed enough to be able to go to nicer restaurants and you get a great service, um, it's, a, it's a lovely thing. And you remember what you drank. You remember what you ate. Um, those are, those are, golden opportunities for a brand to be associated with. And so there's this halo effect that you get from um, branding 
with great bars and restaurants that that um, really support you. You know, from a very early stage, we've been um, supported by some of the best bartenders just right here in Chicagoland. So I'm always like, I'm giddy when I find our products, you know, on a special gin and tonic menu. It's great, isn't it? Um, yeah, because I know it means something to consumers. They really, they really do resonate with that experience. And because uh, I know it means something to me when I go to those places. You know, I, I think back to, what was it, 20 years ago or so when when the big guys in Atlanta introduced their iconic little single serve glass bottle to the to the food service industry and it had a revolutionary effect and and r- restaurants were more than happy to put that on the table one because it looked good two it had an iconic association three no longer was it like an unlimited uh fountain pour right so so creating that and having your brand be able to present that kind of equity that someone wants to uh, at a restaurant or a bar wants to put it on the on the table in front of the consumer. That's got to have a lot of value for for them as well as it does for obviously you and building your brand story. Absolutely, um, yeah. The soda gun you mentioned, I think, has been um, relegated to um, generic, and um, even big brands, I think, recognize that. That being said. Soda gun is the most efficient and sustainable way to get a get a liquid into a restaurant. Um, less refrigeration, less packaging, less water. Uh, it's it's uh, it's really American revolutionary <laughs> in some ways. And and our products are found on the soda gun, so um, that is a unique proposition that we give bars and restaurants. Oh, okay. Um, because they can serve a, a more premium serve. On the soda gun. That does separate you from a lot of the other players. It absolutely does. Yeah. Some of the other, you know, certainly all the other players are just in packaging. Um, and that's, I just, I think it's a value of ours to stay there because we know it's the most sustainable package that there is. So, the, um, so then. Have bars, I literally have bars ordering us. Sorry, from like Arizona to LA. Go ahead. In, in that case. Um, it seems to me now you're competing for the slots on on the fountain machine with the big guys. And to some degree, more often than not, I think they, they kind of own that. It's their equipment. It's their – how do you – Is that, I've got to imagine – just tell me, is that an obstacle that you've had to face in terms of building out your equity of having to fight against the territory that the, that the big players in carbonated beverages have kind of staked out? Yeah, we're not trying to own it. Um, we are playing a role with, which was kind of underserved by the large CPG companies. They're they're more focused on um, their their large brands that be the the cola, the diet, and the, and the lemon lime. Um, when we're focused on higher quality mixers, um, which were mostly taken over by generics, you know, so so sometimes those fountains are serviced by small fountain. Um, distributors that also service the CO2, et cetera, in those bars. And they have their own private label. Um, they might have a fairly generic high fructose corn syrup product, and it doesn't necessarily match what the bar wants. So for us to be able to um, um, kind of help the bar find a solution there, it's nice. And it it's still a challenge because, you know, the, the soft drink gun is not considered the highest quality products in the world. And, and there's a bit of a mismatch for us there. 
Um, but we still make the products. We're, we're, we've been fairly successful with our ginger beer on the soda gun because it is such a high volume serve. And, um, uh, you know, we, we're happy to find it on menus because of that. So, and it get, we get further out. Like I said, we get further, we, we can reach, we can reach parts of the, the country that we otherwise can't reach with our bottles. Hey, Mr. Peter Bond, do you remember that executive summit you attended last year at Cornell Tech? Oh, you mean the Omnichannel Leadership Program? Many of our listeners have been asking me about it, Peter. I got to tell you, Shree, hands down the best exec ed program I've participated in, and they're offering it again in 2024. If you loved it, why don't you share with the audience what it's all about? Cornell is bringing together CPG and retail industry executives and visionaries along with the very best academics to deliver an outstanding curriculum designed to help participants build a high-performing customer journey and level up their organizations in all things omni-channel. And so, Peter, you, of course, refer to omni-channel. So is this an online only or is it a hybrid you can do in person too? Or what is it? Now, it's an in-person event. It's happening at Cornell Tech's campus in the business mecca of the world, New York City, this coming June. It's a very intimate setting. Participants get to interact with industry luminaries, the professors, and their contemporaries over a three-day event. The course was designed by Cornell in partnership with a host of blue-chip retailers and consumer goods manufacturers, including Ahold Delhaize, Calanova, Walmart, Monster Energy, and Dick's Sporting Goods, just to name a few. What a great opportunity, Peter, for some of our listeners to be able to participate in an exec ed program of this nature. What do you think? And they may even see a CPG guy or two at the front of the room. Uh, My big tip is to apply early for the program. They purposefully keep the attendee list small and ensure great networking by requiring a short application. It's only a few questions, but it makes sure that the right people are in the room to have really valuable discussions on these topics. Fantastic, Peter. So how can people learn more about this uh, Cornell's Omnichannel Leadership Program? Well, there's a link to the program page in the digital liner notes of this very podcast episode. And you can also find it on top of the navigation bar at cpgguys.com. So what kind of, obviously, the pandemic was a massive trend disruptor for you. You made reference to that earlier. What are kind of some of the other trends in the industry that you find most exciting or influential that give you uh give you encouragement that that your business has a lot more room to grow? Well, I, I think you've already mentioned one, um, the fact that spirits continue to gain share in, in the kind of the share of the stomach, as they say, for alcohol beverage consumption. Um, highballs concurrently will continue to grow because that at-home at cocktailing will continue to be um, the demand spot for uh, and you know people want to drink slightly mid mid calorie mid mid um, mid level alcohol. They don't necessarily want to drink high high proof products in at their home. The ready to drink um, cocktails and cans um, has been somewhat disruptive to us. However, I I've been in the business long enough, and I've watched um, you know I've watched the beer trade go through its share of, of, of trends. And I'm not suggesting that it's a trend that's going to go away tomorrow, but I remember when wine coolers came out and hooch and, you know, just about all these, these kind of different types of blended products that 
come out and then somewhat after five years die back. I see, you, you know, if you've been in it long enough, you've seen them. Um, and I, I, I get the sense that people will be reminded that they like gin and tonic, but maybe they just want to choose their own gin and their own tonic. Um, because you can make it the, not only the flavors that you want, but you can make it the level of proof that you want, which is really important when you're drinking a cocktail. Yeah, I, I think about most of the ready-to-drink cocktail beverages. They tend to be sweeter in nature. They tend to be targeting what I would call a less sophisticated audience. And it seems like your brand is is taking the other end of the spectrum. We're going for the person who does like care about the the brand of gin that they have. They want a really good experience. And to your to your point, they want to control the level of alcohol that they have in the cocktail. I want to remind our audience that I'm speaking today with Mary Pelletieri, co-founder and CEO of the uh, of the Top Note Tonic brand of mixers and soft drinks. Um, so uh, we made reference to getting consumer feedback, and you talked about the QR code. What role does that consumer uh, feedback play in the evolution of of your brand and the beverages you're manufacturing? Well. We live in a very um, middle of the country kind of city. So our direct feedback doesn't always come digitally. It comes from liquid to lips. So when we do events, um, I, I like to see people's responses. Um, I I watch what bartenders are serving. I listen to what consumers are saying about certain types of drinks. Um, our innovation pipeline has moved a little bit towards soft drinks because we see mid-calorie as a place to um, drive more growth from our brand, but we haven't completely explored or, or limited our, our, our reach for our mixers either. Um, we just wanted to see how people reacted to mid-calorie. Um, there's a lot of, there's a, you know, soft drinks are changing and they're, you know, you come from a large CPG brand, you know, that, um, um, those those companies are always going to be uh, on the look for their own um, types of trends and and things that are happening that might be more longstanding. Um, you know, kudos to the colas in the world that have lasted for over a hundred years because the flavors um, and and the branding really resonates. Uh, but I do see the demand for um, a more sensitive um, Gen Z uh, looking for less sugar, looking for um, more sustainable types of companies, uh, not just their longevity, but they're really focused on the on the environment. Um, looking for very high quality ingredients, maybe ingredients that are more sensitive to the environment. I see that as a a trend that's not going to go away, not with this next generation and the generation that'll follow and the generation follows. So um, I do think brands, if they're smart, they're looking at the trends that are happening now and and are considering, you know what's next um, because the, the, you know, maybe not the next five years, but maybe in the next 20 things will look different. I'd love to hear about any partnerships or collaborations that you think have had a particularly profound impact on the growth of, of your brand, you know, be it a distributor or, or maybe you've done some work with alcohol brands, anything in particular that, that kind of comes to note as, Hey, uh, this is, this kind of stuff is really, paired very well from a business perspective that have helped you work on, on growing it out? Well, we're still alcohol adjacent no matter what, even though we are a non-alcoholic brand and we do service quite a bit of non-alcoholic um, um, serves, mocktails, that sort of thing. 
but we our best our best uh collaborations have come from alcohol we did uh we worked with a small craft brewery in chicago and did their gin and tonic with them we we've done actually two craft breweries in chicago we did that with um we uh, we also worked with a spirits brand that was bringing a ranch water to the market and they needed some help with the chemistry side of the water. So they gave us a little bit of credit on the back label and we helped them. Um, those sorts of things are, they help us continue to establish our, our credibility as kind of the inventive brand. Um, but we're also very sharing, you know, it goes right right back to original value that we, that we um, held when we, when we picked our bottle. Um, that American hat. So these collaborations are important, but the last ones are the distilleries. The local distilleries have been super um, foundational for us to um, establish our local presence here in um, the, the state of Wisconsin. So you've got to have to, I have to imagine that this trend of having craft distilleries uh, emerging in such a significant way over the last, you know, 15 years, I think back to when I was, 18 that the 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 21 i grew up in canada so i can say 18 as as the uh, drinking age but 21 here in the states that uh it was all the really big you know it was the diageos and uh and um and the bacardis and now it seems like uh, i can probably find 300 different bourbon distillers uh uh, in you know the eastern United States alone, let alone when I get beyond before I even hit Kentucky or or Tennessee. So I've got to imagine that 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 just the emergence of that trend has been really uh, helpful because they're all trying to showcase their the fine quality of their brand and what helps that better than a really high quality mixer. Sure, we still drink a lot of that style of of spirits. Um, you know, straight. Um, still, there's not a lot of mixing going on. So um, that is one of the challenges, but um, for sure, the small distillers, they don't necessarily want to have um, a large brand on the shelf or something mixed with their product that is maybe made with, you know, high fructose corn syrups. That's something they would use. So why do they, you know, why would they bring it? A lot of them make their own, you know, that's something that we've seen too. They make their own tonic water um, because they they might have to depending on the regulations they have to make everything <laughs> so there's that too there you go very good so i'd love to hear about um you know how your approach to really making sure your brand is staying adaptable in this changing marketplace obviously no one no one like the pandemic no one expects the spanish inquisition to quote uh monty python but um would love to know you know how you make sure you and your team are really staying on top of market trends and and thinking about how you adapt to accommodate changes in the marketplace. Well, um, it's just being out there and listening as much as we can. Um, keep an ear to the ground. Talk to our bartender friends. Visit their accounts. See what they're doing um, because they they are literally playing all the time to figure out what consumers are liking. Um, and they have probably the closest read to um, any changes of taste that is, um, you know, and, and the other trends, I think when you look at it from a real broad perspective are going to be anything happening in food, um, health and wellness, 
we're t- we make tonic water. We're never going to make a keto tonic water. <laughs> I love when people say, "Do you want it? Do you have make, do you make a gluten free tonic water?" I'm like, "It's tonic water. Do I have to say it's gluten free on the package? Really? That's what's good. Kind of do. <laughs> Seriously, it's water, people. It's water. You don't need to say it's gluten free, but we make yeah. Ours is vegan. Yeah, it, you have to say that stuff. Um, it's crazy." We're working towards fair trade sugar. That's our next step. Ah, that's a that's a different story. Yeah, I understand that. Yeah, but the, these are but still these are trends, right? These are health and wellness trends that consumers are looking for that credibility piece, um, and they are seeking brands that that share that value. So I I think that's an important. You can't lose sight of that. Sometimes for a small brand, frankly, it's very hard. It's very hard to make those changes. As much as it is for a big brand, it is for the small brands as well, because we may not have the capital to simply change packaging in a heartbeat. Um, we could move faster, but it comes down to cash. Yeah, I got to imagine that in terms of the insights that keep you on top of the industry, I mean, it's amazing how much is available now. I think about the uh, delivery service Drizzly and the fact that they have BevAlk Insights and they put out these really meaningful reports that they leverage from all of their consumer data to show you kind of where the industry is going, what the, what their their um, uh, their uh, you know their their uh, marketplace shoppers are looking for, and I ha- I've got to imagine that the information like that is just like pure gold to to you. Oh, absolutely. If you can, if you can afford it, we have to, we have to mine. I'm, I'm probably about once a month mining for new data, um, just to see where the category is going. Um, I found some interesting data, um, recently, basically as a a company that looks at serves and on in bars and restaurants. And I didn't know that chin is a growing category with millennials. And there you go. it, 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 doesn't surprise me that it is a more it's you know it's a, it's it's highly variable there's so many different types but these these renaissance gin cocktails are coming back um the bee's knees um which i made for a um a group of my friends this summer and they loved it um you know it's that to me is exciting so you have to kind of keep and if again what's old is new again <laughs> We try to keep a read on what's happening and, and from that perspective as well with data um, when we can get, get our hands on it. Yeah, yeah that's why I like with Drizzly, they just put it out for free. They, they design it to go to all of their, you know, their, their local alcohol retailers. And it's like a great for everyone who's in the industry. It's like, wow, this is stuff that I would have had to pay tens of thousands of dollars before. Now I just go to BevAlkInsights.com and there it all is for free. It's like awesome. So uh, one of the great things about this uh, digital world we're living in. Um, so uh, looking towards the future, uh, what are your plans in terms of is most your focus on building out your distribution? Are you thinking about going into new markets? Are you thinking about going into new product lines, adjacent lines? Like what is, what's kind of got your attention in terms of growing out the business? Um, right now we're focused on um, really getting deeper within the current set that we're in. So um, uh, get, gaining a little bit more market share within our local and working with our distributors to do that. So um, you can get very distracted by, um, you know, pushing into new markets, pushing to new markets. 
but frankly, that's made our ability to keep up on inventory more mismanaged, not manageable. It's just, you know, within, with interest rates the way they were, um, as well as cost of materials, it didn't make sense to keep our current customers um, out of stock and fill a new customer. So we've, we've kind of pulled back a bit on new distro right now. And we're focused on getting deeper in the cat in the in the places we're in, um, and that does mean retail. So you know something we've kind of avoided since COVID was <laughs> approaching buyers because it wasn't a category um, that they were looking too closely at. Frankly, they probably should have been because there was so much in-house consumption going on. <laughs> it's one of the fastest growing categories in grocery retail right now is is the mixer business when yeah. i look at the categories that i'm seeing double digit growth that one like surfaces right to the top and we tell that all the time to um our our elk bev folks to get get it into more retail but we also are working direct with retailers now because they do know they're looking at they know more brands will only make the premium part of it grow more it's kind of like I I did a pitch to a, a great retailer in Texas um, during COVID, and I at the start of the pitch I pulled two bottles of of beer out. I pulled a Heineken out, and I said, "When I started craft beer, this is this was all you saw on the shelf besides Miller and Coors." And it wasn't until you know, and I showed her you know multiple bottles of local brands that until these things came out. Did the category really take off? And I said, "It's no different in any beverage set." When you start to really um, draw the attention of the consumer by mixing it up, no pun intended, um, you're going to see a lot more energy there. Um, and, it, and it will make more sense to the consumer that, oh, there's choice. You know, I think that's an important thing. You know, we're Americans. We love choice. Too much choice can be overwhelming. Overwhelming, yeah. But, uh, but a little bit more choice so they know that there, there's actually points of differentiation this is American. This has more serves. This is made with dark sugar. Um, this one has, you know, this one goes better with my gin. Um, whatever that may be, there's um, that choice really does energize a category. And I, I think that's why you are seeing double digit growth. That's great. I want to remind our audience, uh, please visit cpgguys.com where you can find all of our content. We have it organized into all sorts of interesting topics, AlkBev being one of them. So you can find all our episodes, uh, beverages being another, retail media, whatever your your topic of interest is, we probably have a filter for that and it makes it easier for you to find the episodes. Uh, and of course, if you think you or your company has some thought leadership to contribute to our community discussion, drop us an email at contact cptguys.com. Maybe you can join us uh, for a future episode of this podcast. And of course, don't forget to drop us a rating if you're at cptguys.com or of course on Apple or Spotify. Um, and of course, thank you to these 27,000 uh, industry followers and growing that uh, have chosen to follow us on our preferred platform of LinkedIn. Uh, Mary, thanks so much for coming on to the podcast and telling the the top note story. It was very fascinating. Appreciate uh, you making time out of your day to do this. Of course, thank you so much, Peter, for having me. And uh, you know, I look forward to maybe meeting at, at an event some some point. It'd be great. Uh, my trade shows. It, I'm kicking off 
next week at, at Consumer Electronics Show. And then it's kind of fast and furious in a, in a mad race. I did 17 last year. I'm hoping to bring it down a little bit this year. But yeah, I'm, I'm out at the trade shows like uh, a little crazy, but uh, I'm sure we will find an opportunity to run into each other. Um, really interesting story. Loved hearing about the category, about how you're approaching it. It's a little bit different than some of the other players that, that we've spoken to. And that's great because you have to find the niche that's right where you see there's an opportunity. And if you service that better than someone else, then your brand's going to win. And that's what's really interesting about it. That's cool. To our audience, hey, listen, thanks for joining us. Hope your 2024 is off to a really great start. And we look forward to speaking with you on the next episode of the CPG Guys podcast. Goodbye. The content in this podcast episode is provided for general informational purposes only. By listening to our episode, you understand that no information contained in this episode should be construed as advice from CPG Guys LLC or the individual author, hosts, or guests, nor is it intended to be a substitute for research on any subject matter. Reference to any specific product or entity does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by CPG Guys LLC. The views expressed by guests are their own, and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. The views expressed by CPG Guys LLC do not represent the views of their employers or the entity they represent. CPG Guys LLC expressly disclaims any and all liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect, incidental, special, consequential, or other damages arising out of any individual's use of, reference to, or inability to use this podcast or the information we present in this podcast.